And what we're finding out in the book of Genesis, thanks, man, is, um, is that it, Genesis was really written as a family history. Any of you, any of you ever have like, like a family history? That anyone ever wrote, written down your family history or anything like that? My grandma, my grandma and grandpa did that for us. Um, they, they went and, and actually had a professional historian document our whole Lombard family, and then they got this DVD of grandma and grandpa being interviewed and stuff and kind of passing down the Lombard history. It's kind of cool. That's, exa- that's what's kind of going on here with, uh, with uh, um, Moses and the children of Israel. Imagine just kind of sitting around some campfires and Moses sharing the history of how they got to where they're at. And right now in the story, we pick up where um, we're, uh, we're studying Abraham. And so Moses is talking about, about Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham, right? You know, if Pastor could do arky, arky, barky, barky, I can do Father Abraham, all right? I told my wife I was going to pull that one out, so... That's good. That was good. I need to write that down for later because anytime you get a joke and it goes well, you got to do it again. All right. Uh, so Genesis chapter 1, we started, and, uh, and we see that God created everything. And I'm just going to catch up a few of you if you haven't been here for the whole, for the whole series. Um, Genesis 2, we see the way God designed it. And the original design, and, I, and every week I just say, that's part of my prayer, is God, we come into agreement with your original design. The way you originally planned it, we want it here. In fact, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, what, as it is in heaven, original design. Um, and so we declare that into our, into our families, into our bodies, into our city. Genesis 3 uh, was a story of how Adam and Eve, and really a story of us, how we screwed this whole thing up. Genesis 4 and 5 was, um, really it showed uh, Cain and Abel, it was the multiplication of sin. It was how, it, when, when you open the door to sin, it just keeps going. And, and it just becomes bigger than you ever wanted it to be. And, uh, and it was a story of the two offerings, um, one that, that Abel brought and one that Cain brought. And uh, God, um, God accepted Abel's offering but didn't accept Cain's. Genesis 6 and 7 was Noah and the flood and all of that stuff. And the, Pastor Greg gave us all the specs on the ark, and it was as big as like a football field and things. I mean, it was just, just humongous. And I think you compared it to, um, to the Nebraska Stadium, right? And, yeah. And, uh, uh, and then in Genesis 8, we, we see Noah and his family exiting the ark, and, um, and they build an altar and give sacrifice, and God promises to never flood the earth like that ever again. And uh, in Genesis 9, we see God's assignment. And again, the, the whole time through, um, I, I don't think I've been able to get through one week without mentioning sex. And so again, be fruitful and multiply. It comes through again in this whole deal. The elders are, have been rebuking me in our elder meetings. And uh, I, just, I just figured, you know, if it's in the Bible, then we, then we talk about it. So, um, so that was Genesis 9, be fruitful and multiply, scatter among the earth. Um, and then you see Noah getting drunk and, and some interesting there, things there that we didn't have time to go into. And I said, hey, you may want to do that in your own Bible study. And, so, um, and then the sign of a rainbow. And Genesis chapter 10 um, was, remember, that was the one I said, that's the real boring one. And if you want to skip it, you can. But if you want to go read it, you can. It's the one about just the genealogies. It was three sons and 70 nations. 
is really what Genesis 10 was all about. Genesis 11 was uh, the Tower of Babel, and, uh, and instead of obeying God and, and being scattered, they said, hey, let's build a city and come together and, and not be scattered. And you see some of that disobedience and, and man's attempt to get to God um, was Genesis 11. And right at the end of Genesis 11, we picked up last week. Genesis, the end of Genesis 11 and the beginning of Genesis 12 was, uh, was where we were introduced to Abraham and the man, the myth, the legend. The, the first 11 chapters took like 2,000 plus years. Uh, it was, it was, that was what it documented. The, last, the, the rest of Genesis until chapter 50 was about 400 years of history, starting with Abraham and then all of Abraham's descendants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, and then the last part is Jacob's, uh, what, his great-grandson, great-great-grandson, um, Joseph. And that was all of, all of Genesis. And so I want to pick up um, in chapter 12, and we're going to, you, if you believe me, um, I mean, it took me a little bit to wrap this whole thing, this whole story, all these chapters are on my brain, because we've got about uh, 10 chapters to cover today. You guys ready? Ugh. All right. Everyone's getting nervous. You've got your crock pots on? Okay. So, um, so here's the rest of the story. Um, in Genesis 12, as we move on, you see that Abraham lied. And, uh, and this, is a, this is a theme that, that shows up. Um, there's, a, there's a couple things that happen. He lied because he was afraid for his life. And so he, he tells uh, um, his wife, Sarah, who was actually his, um, his half-sister, the way they rolled back then. It was his half-sister. And he says, hey, why don't you tell them, tell the king and everybody that you're my sister instead of my wife. And that way um, they don't, like, take you and kill me. So let's, let's do it that way. So that was Abraham, um, this man of faith, right? You start to see, oh, he's a real person, just like me, right? So he lied. Um, you move on in Genesis 13, and you see that, that Abraham went back to the place of his first altar. And he goes back to that altar that he, that he made um, originally, and then he has an encounter with the living God right there. And, and so everything's okay. He, and we, all, we all get off track every once in a while, right? I love how, how Abraham comes back. He always comes back. The Lord, um, in, again, in Genesis 13, confirms his promise to Abraham. He continues to confirm his promise over and over. As you read all of these chapters, God continues over and over again. Abraham, hey, the promise is still legit. Abraham, let me just confirm that one more time. Abraham, let me make a covenant with you. And you see that all throughout. You, you see that in Genesis 13. You see it in Genesis 15. Um, in fact, in Genesis 15, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And it was like this. In fact, it, this is really how it went. Is you know, in, on, in the Old Testament, pre-cross, um, they, they uh, faith in, in Jesus was in anticipation of what was to come. On and the other side of the cross, we have we have faith and we're saved because of what has already happened. And in the Old Testament, it was it's an interesting thing here. Righteousness is a legal legal word that means right standing before God in a court of law before the the, the high courts. Abraham was righteous. And why was he righteous? He was righteous because he believed. Because he believed God. It's, it's a huge, huge principle there. Um, so he was righteous because he believed. Um, the Lord makes another covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 and, and about the land given to his descendants. And 
Um, and then in Genesis 16, um, maybe some of you remember this story that, that Sarai and Abram, this is, was their name before it was changed, Sarai and Abram took matters into their own hands. And um, they, they knew this promise was, was to come, and they didn't see any way. They were probably about 10 years in um, after the promise. They're probably about, imagine 10 years later, and the promise still hadn't been fulfilled. And Sarai is, uh, is she's, she's barren, and she's like, man, you know, I know this promise, and here, I've got an idea. How about you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar? And she tells that to Abraham. I was talking to my wife about that. I don't think that would work in our, in our marriage. And, uh, and so, so that, was how, that was how that went down. And I, I was researching this, and it's not as shady as you might think. I mean, in our culture, we're like, that's ridiculous. How could, how could Sarah even think that? And this was really the way they rolled back then was um, this was kind of like a surrogate mother. Uh, is, is, what, is what Hagar would be. And so it wasn't like this, this sexual, like, uh, you know, atrocity or anything like that. This really was, was um, a way of saying, hey, you know what? We could, we could have an heir here in our home. What if, we, what if we, like, adopt? Or what if we have a surrogate mother? Or what if we do, like, in vitro? Or what if, you know, that was, the, like, the, the conversation was going on. And so they took matters into their own hands, but it wasn't as crazy as you might think. This was kind of the way they rolled in their culture. It was very common. And, uh, and, so, and so that happens. Um, uh, Genesis 16, um, it was interesting as we see Ishmael is born. And he, uh, you know, it's interesting about the promise. Because the promise was in Isaac. But you remember how, how, how uh, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations? And you'd think that that wouldn't include Ishmael. But even in, in Ishmael, it, you, you see here, watch this, uh, Genesis 16, verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, and this was Hagar, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. In other words, even Ishmael's descendants would be, would be um, uh, countless as, as far as the, you know, like the sands on the seashore. Uh, who comes from Ishmael? Uh, Ishmael, anyone know? Like all the Middle East nations, all, all, the, all the Saudi Arabia, all that stuff, Iraq, all, like all those nations come from Ishmael. It's really interesting stuff. 24 um, years after the initial promise and 13 years after Ishmael was born, um, Abraham was 99 years old and God comes to him again and he, and he wants to, him to, make, to know again, hey, my covenant is still with you. My promise is still with you. And that's in Genesis 17. And he says, I will multiply you exceedingly. Um, Abraham's name was changed to, or Abram's name was changed to Abraham at 99 years old. How many of you would like your name to be changed at 99 years old, right? You know, it was 99 when his name was changed. And, um, and, Ab- and Sarai was 89 when her name was changed to Sarah. And all of that was going on. And then, um, and then you see in Genesis 18, we showed this last week, that, that um, even though Sarah, Sarai was barren, um, that the Lord promised that she would um, give birth to a child. And it says this in, in Genesis 18, verse 11, or I'm, I'm sorry, verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And God is promising this thing. Um, Genesis 18, verse 16 and on shows Abraham's relationship with God. 
Um, Abraham had, had just, you, you see this time and time again that Abraham and, and God would just talk. They would just have conversations. In fact, there was this conversation they had where God was wanting to destroy a city named Sodom. Any of you guys remember that story? And Abraham says, well, what if there were still 50 righteous people? Would you still destroy Sodom? And, and, he, and they go back and forth. It's like this bartering, this, this negotiation. He's like, he's like, I know I shouldn't presume upon you, God, but what if there were 45 righteous? What if there were 40? And they keep going down. Uh, 30? Yeah, 20? What about 10? If there were 10 righteous people, how about like seven and like three chickens? Like, would that work? Like, and you see Abraham's heart for, for this whole city. Like, Lord, do you really have to? Do you really have to destroy it? And, and you see the relationship that, that God and Abraham have as they converse over that. Um, you see in Genesis 19, um, towards the end, that Lot, who's, uh, who's um, Abraham's nephew, he was saved because of Abraham's relationship with God. He said that Lot was saved because of Abraham, which was really interesting to me. In Genesis chapter 20, and we're starting to get towards the good stuff. In Genesis 20, Abraham lies again. It's, like he, he, it's the same deal. Tell them that you're my half-sister. He does it again, and you see, man, he's just a human being, just like you and me. I love this about Abraham. And then in Genesis 21, the promise is fulfilled. Finally, after he was 75 years old when the promise was, was given, and then he's 100 years old, 25 years later, um, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Woohoo! This is, <laughs> this is the moment we've all been waiting for, right? Yeah, this was, this was, this was a huge deal. And, um, and then we'll see, as we, we're going to really narrow in on Genesis 22 and, and Hebrews chapter 11 today, but... The next chapter, Genesis 22, um, in a little bit we're going to see that, that it's likely that it was as much as 30 plus years between chapter 21 and chapter 22. In fact, Abraham could have been 130-ish. He died when he was 175. Now, I know 175 is, is a big deal. We're like, no way, 170. But you remember Ish, or, or Methuselah and Enoch and all these people, they're like 900, 1,000 years old. And so this is, this is young. This 175 is young. And, uh, and, and, and may God bless you to be 175 in this, uh, in this room as well. Amen. <laughs> All right. So Genesis 22, 22 is where we come. I'm just going to highlight a few things. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going we're, we're gonna, um, to kind of discuss it. And then I'm going to zero in on two verses or two kind of passages in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis 22 is where God comes to Abraham. And, um, and again, he's probably 130 or so. And the promise, so he's been enjoying the promise for a long time. And his son, his son could have, could have been um, quite a bit old. His son could have been in his 30s, and we'll find out about that in a minute. Um, but but uh, it says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And everybody says, stop, wait, hold on, right? And, and some of you guys have probably heard this story before, but, but listen, um, you know, Isaac was, not only was he the promise, he was Abraham's son, even if he had nothing to do with the promise. God comes to him and says, um, give me your son. 
And not just like, I mean, there's different portions of Scripture all throughout the Bible where, where someone, you know, gave their son to God. But it was never in a sacrifice. It was always, like, like you remember, uh, you know, like Samuel was given to God to serve in the temple and, and things like. But this was like, um, this had nothing to do with the character of God or the attributes of God. This was like all the other pagan gods that everyone else worshipped. Human sacrifice was not on God's radar. And Abraham is sitting here with this conundrum. Like, wait a minute, but God just told me I'm supposed to sacrifice my son? And there was no question. There was no conversation. This was, and in fact, the next verse is just, so Abraham arose early the next day. I, I, I bet he didn't sleep very well that night. He rose early the next day and got his son, and they got wood, and they, they went on this journey, and, and they had some servants with him. And, and I love this place in, in Genesis 22, where, where he, and, and I think it's verse 5, it says, he says this to his servants. He says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and then we will come back to you. Doesn't that sound, can I, are you walking with me here? Are we understand? He, he was telling his servants that both him and the boy, and the lad in the original language, it could actually be a, a young, it, there wasn't necessarily age on, on lad. He says they're coming back. Abraham, Abraham knew something about God that, that I'm obeying God until the last moment, but I know, I know God. I know him. I've walked with him for years. It's probably 50 to 60 years by this point of, from the moment of the first calling. He's like, I know God better than this. I know. I know that the promise is still here. I know that we're coming down off this mountain together. I know we're coming off this mountain together. So they went up, and, uh, and Isaac's starting to question things. Now, I mean, where's the sacrifice? What's going on here? And finally, they get to the altar, and um, it, the Bible just kind of calmly puts it that Abraham bound Isaac up and laid him on the altar, and and you know, and it's just interesting to me. You know, it, Isaac was most most scholars, um, most Jewish scholars put Isaac at thirty-seven years old, um, as as how old he was here. Uh, I, I bet he could have taken his dad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Can we just be real? I bet, I mean, 37 years old, I'm 34, 35 this summer. My dad's a big guy, but, you know, he's, he's getting up there in age. I know a couple, a couple sweet spots. <laughs> he's thir- 37 years old. Now, uh, he was at least a teenager, because theologians debate on the age. He was at least a teenager. Everyone, all, every theologian believes that he was at least late teens, and then someone, some put him up to even 37 years old. And I look at this, and we're not going here today, but it's interesting all the parallels between this story and, um, and Jesus and the cross. You know how Jesus willingly laid down his life? And Isaac, I think he said, okay, Father. I don't think there was a fight. I think he was just bound up, and he just laid down on the altar. You see that, that parallel? Laying himself down as a, as a sacrifice? And, uh, man, you just wonder what's going on in Abraham's mind. And, uh, and so he bound him up. He put him on the altar. In verse 10 in chapter 22, um, it says that Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I mean, 
If any, if, if there was any, uh, you know, 11th hour here, right? If this was, I mean, Abraham, I mean, there'd be a couple other points along the road when I would have stepped in and said, okay, this is, this is far enough. And Abraham has the knife getting ready to plunge it into his son because why? Because God said so. Because God, God, God asked. There was no question. He's bound up on this altar and Abraham is about ready to and. And then God says, wait, wait, far enough. He's like, he's like you're doing what, I, what I've asked you to do. And, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And there was the substitute. And what, Jesus is our substitute. I mean, this is huge, just a huge parallel between, between this story and, and, and the Easter, the Good Friday and the Easter experience. This is huge. And Abraham, in verse 14, called this place, the Lord will provide. And I, I mean, it, this place could have been called all kinds of things. It could have been called the place of trial, the place of testing. It could have been called all kinds. You know, you know what? This is the most crazy experience that up to this point Abraham's had. And he says, he calls it the, the Lord will provide. In fact, it was known like that for years, that this is the place where the Lord will provide. And God says this to Abraham, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Now, we know that this wasn't his only son. Is it just me, or did we also read about Ishmael? In fact, he probably had other children with, with uh, you know, um, you know th- at, at this point. But Isaac was the promise. In fact, the word only there in the original language uh, has more to do with value and, um, and, and that he was the, the special, he was the choice one. And, and so your son, your only son, the one you love, this was what it was about. Because you have not withheld the most important thing to you your only son. And then he goes on and he confirms again the blessing of multiplying his descendants as far as the stars of the heaven and the sand and the seashore because he obeyed the voice of the Lord. You see, Abraham's faith was tested and, and there's this whole, there's, there's all kinds of theology and doctrine around God testing and, and I do believe that God tests us. Um, I don't believe that God um, um, designs evil or assigns evil. I don't believe any of that stuff, but I do believe that there's times where God tests. Sometimes God tests us to produce something in our life. How many know that, that the testing of our faith, what, produces something? Produces perseverance, produces all character and all these things. There, there's, there's tests that, that, that I believe God gives. I also believe that sometimes life itself just tests us. How many know that, that you go through hard things? It might not necessarily be from God, but God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So those things, those life situations that we're in, sometimes in and of itself tests us. It squeezes us. It's like um, I think my mom used to say that, you know, when you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out when we when we squeeze you, what comes out, right? When you get squeezed. When life squeezes you, what comes out? And, and so, so sometimes there, God will test um, to produce something, but he also sometimes tests to reveal something. And this is what I believe is going on here more than anything in this, in this chapter, is that God, I mean, at 90, what, this is actually at this point at 130 probably. Maybe he's 130 years old. I mean, Abraham's lived quite a while. There's not a whole lot more right, that, that needs to be, like, produced. He's produced. But God's wondering something. He's like, he's like, if I squeeze you, what gets revealed? What gets revealed here? 
Hebrews chapter 11. Um, a lot of people call it the Hall of Faith. It records two significant events in Abraham's life. And these events are probably 50 or 60 years apart. The first one we talked about last week where God says, Abraham, leave. Leave your, your country. Leave your family. Leave your father's household and just go. And, we, and in Hebrews chapter 11, you see this account. In fact, it, it says it this way. It says, by faith, in, in Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then probably 50 or 60 years later, the, Abraham, the majority of Abraham's journey of faith is bookended by another event that we just read in Genesis 22. And Hebrews 11 accounts it like this. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Does that sound like somebody else? Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. I want you to see this today. This, the main thought as we walk away today is this. Although Isaac is a major player in this story, and although the promise is seemingly compromised, this really isn't about Isaac, nor is it about the promise. It's about Abraham. In other words, God is asking Abraham, how much do you love me? That's what this whole thing is about. That's what the story is about. God is asking Abraham, how much do you love me? Um, my parents, when, we, when Becky and I moved here to um, Kearney, my, my parents um, moved to Trinidad. And so we were all kind of packing up and leaving, and they moved to Trinidad. I, I love the story of my, of my parents um, because they're, I think, I think they're 57 right now, and uh, they like, this isn't like when you start something. This is like when you start, you know what I'm saying, like in the natural? This is like when you, when you start to decide, okay, so retirement, you know, maybe another 10 years, you know, and, you know I mean, grandkids, because at this point, grandkids are way more important than children. I found that out. <laughs> found that out. And, uh, and so this is what, th so this is that time in their life, and, and I'm just, I'm not going to just take a, you know, a million years on this story, but, but it's just, it amazes me how um, they, they had pastored for all these years, and then, and they came to this point of, of where God says, hey, what about like selling everything you have and moving to a, another country and, and um, leaving your children behind? That wasn't a hard, real hard issue for them, but leaving your grandchildren behind, right? And I, and I look at, you know, people that could make it into the hall of faith, you know, and I, and I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe mom and, I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased, but, um, but I, I look at a story like that and I just think, man, man, yeah, the, if, if the Bible was being written today, the Hebrews 11, maybe my parents would make it into the hall of faith. But what about you? I, I mean, we talk about some of these you know, big, grandiose, you know, faith steps, but there's even things that nobody knows about, right? Where you make a, a faith step and your name maybe could be written 
in the Hall of Faith. You know, it's widely known in the sports world that they induct people into various Hall, hall of Fame, you know, type, you know, scenarios. You know, I, I follow a professional football quite a bit, um, and, but there's like college football uh, Hall of Fames, and there's baseball and basketball Hall of Fames. And, you know, this last, uh, you know, right around the Super Bowl, there was a, there were, they were inducting people into the Hall of Fame. And uh, my favorite player is Kurt Warner because he, I mean, he played for Arizona Cardinals. And, uh, and he's a Christian. I don't know if any of you guys knew that, but he's a powerful, on-fire-for-God Christian. And he just, he didn't quite make it into the Hall of Fame in this round, but we were rooting for him, right? And, uh, but it's just like, th- there's certain qualifications. There's, there's certain things that you have to, you know, you're, uh, it's a lifetime achievement. It's, a, it's this whole, your, your whole career of, of that particular sport. You look at the successes, and you look at the historic moments, and then they add this all up, and there's some sort of a formula. I, I, it's, it's, it's probably not subjective, right? You know, and, and, then they, and then they get inducted into the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's, it's big. And, and we look at this, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is, is really for us, it's the Hall of Faith. It's, it's where these men and women that have gone before us, where we look at their life achievements and the successes and, and the historic moments where, man, and I, and I started asking myself the question about Abraham. So what, what about Abraham qualified him for the Hall of Faith? You know, what was it? Was it these stories but was it more than these stories? And I think, it, I think it was a little bit more than the stories. I think there was a couple of character qualities that, um, that aided this. And so let, here, here's this. He made it in the hall of faith because of three qualities. Number one, trust. Number one, trust. He just simply believed God. He just, I mean... Put it all aside, and we could probably go home after this point. He simply believed God. He just trusted it. All throughout, and you look at the, all these different stories and everything in between, he just simply believed God. He, he trusted. He knew what was promised. Isaac was promised, right? He knew what was promised. He, there was no question on that. He knew what was promised. And then he trusted God so much that he reasoned that even if he had to kill his son, that God would raise him back to life. So there was no question. There was nothing, nothing in his heart that said, well, wait a minute, God. It was like, oh, okay, so if I have to kill my son, then, then God's just going to bring him back to life. Okay, we'll do it. Simple as that. He just simply trusted. Genesis 15, 6, I, I, I read to you, it says he believed in the Lord and, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. There's three places in the New Testament that says this. James is one of them. James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. They were just friends, and he trusted him. He just believed. There was such a childlike faith in Abraham where he didn't question, he just believed. It's like, you know, when Pastor Greg talks about his grandchildren jumping off the monkey bars into his arms. He's like, they don't question whether or not grandpa's going to catch them. They just believe. There was a movie, um, maybe some of you watched, called The Santa Claus with uh, Tim Allen. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cute movie. And Tim Allen's just pretty funny. And, um, and, and it, the story goes where, where Tim Allen's like a, uh, he's like an uppity up in some, some toy store company or whatever. And, and uh, 
he's kind of like the bah humbug, you know, of Christmas and all this stuff. And, and, then, and then it's that classic turnaround where his heart's different by the end of the movie. But, but, uh, so, but him and his son end up um, somehow miraculously in the North Pole, right? And they're looking at this toy factory. And Tim Allen's like, I mean, he can't believe, he can't, just can't believe his eyes. And you see this, this, this point in this movie where he's wearing like these red silk pajamas and he's drinking this hot cocoa and there's this, there's this little cute girl elf that's, uh, um, you know, that's there with him. And they look out kind of, they're, they're, he, he's in his bedroom, you know, the Santa Claus bedroom or whatever, and he's looking out over the toy factory. And, and Tim Allen says something like this. He says, I, he says, I see it, but I don't believe it. And the little girl says, seeing isn't believing Believing is seeing, right? And we, see, we, we, we hear that all around the holidays, right? My dad used to say, if you can see it, it doesn't require faith. In other words, we get it backwards, right? You know, it's faith gives us the ability to see. It gives us the ability to see what we can't naturally see. Uh, what we can't see in the natural. This is, this is why we pray for spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. So, so faith, faith is able to pull back what is in the reality, what's, what's in the natural, and see into the spirit what, what you can't see presently right now. That's what, faith, that's what faith does. Faith gives you spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear. In fact, Hebrews 11 in the faith chapter, the hall of faith, it says it like this in verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you know that? And the flip side is true. You want to know how to please God? Have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. With faith, man, there's favor. You, you want to know how to please God? Have faith. You want to know how to please God? Trust. Do what Abraham did. This is, this is a key part in trust and faith. You know, because um, you know, Abraham learned how to recognize the voice of God. That's a big deal. They, you know, this, this lifetime of ups and downs and all these different things, he learned, how to, he learned how to recognize the voice of God. He had to because he gets here to Genesis 22 and God says, give me your son. This is, this is where Abraham could have probably said, well, I don't know if that was God. You know, right? I'm not sure. That, that might not have been God. That, that was something else. That was the hot wings I had last night. That was the, you know, that was pizza. You know, the, the, that, you know have you ever had like a dream and you're just like, oh, that might have been from the Lord. And you had another dream. You're like, I don't think that was from the Lord. <laughs> that was something else. You know, like you're, you don't want to tell anybody about that one. And, and Abraham sitting here, and, and trust had, had been so instilled in him that over this lifetime, he had learned to trust the voice of God, that, that the moment he heard it, there was no question. The moment he heard the voice, it wasn't, well, I don't know if that was God. Like, he knew it. He had spent so much time with God that he knew, he knew his voice. He learned to respond to the voice of God, because some of us get this first part right, and you hear it. And we recognize it and we trust it. But then Abraham responds. And you see that all throughout Abraham's life, and especially here, man, at the, the culmination of everything, the culmination of his faith, where his, his faith is on, is on trial. And he responds by getting up early the next morning and getting his son and taking the wood and being willing to stab his son. He was righteous 
because he simply believed God. Number two, longevity. The first one's trust. These, these qualities, I think, that kind of inducted Abraham into the hall of faith. The, the, the second one's longevity. It's about the journey. It really is all about the journey. Instead of longevity, we, we could put hope here, or at least in addition to, we could put hope. It, uh, longevity is fueled by hope. It, it's being able to see in the distance and, and keep going because of what's ahead. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character Hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope, I love the definition of hope like this. It's hope is a joyful or confident looking forward with expectation. Hope is a joyful or confident looking forward with expectation. Abraham hoped. Abraham could see the promise even though it wasn't here yet. He hoped. It was there. if faith sees, then hope believes. Longevity and perseverance are present because of what lies ahead. Hebrews 12, 2 puts it this way. Uh, talking about Jesus, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It was because of what lied ahead. It was because of he could see the end. And, and so for the joy set before him endured the cross. Abraham had a joyful and confident expectation of what was ahead. It was the promise. It's interesting to me that when a woman's pregnant, um, she, we, we say she's expecting. Right? When a woman's pregnant, she's expecting. The baby's not here yet, but there's joyful expectation of what's to come. Now, um, I've never been pregnant. Um, that would be a miracle. Um, but what I understand, if I understand it correctly, the, the journey isn't always pleasant. Is that right, ladies? I've heard, I mean, and I don't know this like firsthand in my own body, but I've heard that there's some like unpleasant weight gain. I've heard that there's some ligaments that get pulled in different directions. That there, Sometimes there's like some nerves that get pressed in on. Sometimes there's some kicking in the ribs and some separation of bones. And, some, I mean, the, and then you get to the delivery process, right? And I've, I've heard, I've just heard anyways, that, that that journey isn't always pleasant. But man, there's a joyful expectation of what's to come. I remember, uh, well, it's, it's the same in transition and change. You know, have any of you ever been in transition or change? I'm an expert in transition and change. You know, this church is going, oh, okay, fine, I'll just, just say it. This church is going through transition and change. Um, I look at it like this. My, my family, um, when, when I, grew, I grew up in Arizona, and I remember this time when someone blessed us uh, in, in our home that we were able to replace all of the flooring throughout the whole house, all of the carpet, tile, everything. I mean, it, was, and it, was, and it might have been not the exact color we would have picked out, but it was, it was good. I mean, it was brand new. Brand spanking new. And I remember the process. We, we had to put all of the furniture in the whole entire house went out into the back patio. 
And then we started like ripping up all the carpet and all the, the linoleum, even the place in the laundry room where my dog had like, had like torn up the whole linoleum floor and, you know, my mom wanted to shoot her. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was bad. And, but I remember, so the whole, so the, everything was out. At, at this point, we took, up, took up all the carpet. We took up all the linoleum. And so just, so imagine in your house that every, you don't have any furniture and, and everything is torn up. And all you're looking at is cement slab throughout the whole, the whole house. That's, that's where we were. And, um, and I remember being at this place where we weren't going back. And I could kind of picture the, what it was going to look like, but it wasn't here yet. It was like, like there was no putting back that old carpet after we ripped it up. And I could, and now I could still, I could remember what it was like, but I, it, was, it was starting to fade. Like which piece of furniture went where and, and how did this really look and things. And so, and so, but we were in this in-between point. We were in transition. We were in a place where we weren't where we were and we weren't where we were going. We were in transition. Anyone love transition? <laughs> And so it's this place where you press on towards what's ahead. You, you have this hope. You have this, this joyful expectation of what's to come. This confidence that says, I'm not where I was and I'm not where I'm going, but I'm on my way. The New Testament looks back on Abraham. Um, well, let me say this first. It's interesting that Genesis records Abraham's journey of all these ups and downs and even successes and failures, right? The New Testament looks back on Abraham's journey and only sees his greatness and his success, which is really interesting to me. And even as you read the Genesis account, we never see God rebuke Abraham for a lack of faith. You never see God rebuke Abraham for, uh, you know, taking matters into his own hands. You never see God rebuke Abraham for lying. It was like, keep up, let's just, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Let's stay on this journey. I, I don't know if, if I'm the only one that sees this, I, but it, it's, it's like, it's like the, the successes and the failures, the, 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 the individual moments weren't as much of a big deal as the whole journey was to God. It's like God isn't as concerned with the struggle of Abraham's faith as he is in Abraham continuing to press on and not give up. And Abraham never gave up. He, he, pursued, he, he never gave up on hope, and, and he, he persevered until the very end. He had great successes and he had great failures. And God didn't get hung up on the failures, and he didn't overemphasize the successes. He didn't get hung up on the failures, and he didn't overemphasize the successes. He, he was more interested in the journey. It's as if God was saying, show me what you could do over a lifetime. It's like he was saying, great start, but how are you going to finish? It's not that successes and failures aren't important. It's just that God sees the big picture. When we get caught up with, when we get caught up with what's right in front of our face, I want you to see this last point. First one's trust. The second one's longevity. This last one's love. I think if there were three qualities that inducted Abraham into the hall of faith, there were these three. And this last one was love. 
Abraham often made altars to God. You see this throughout. There were at least four altars that Abraham made to God, and there was one time when he went back to an altar. And altars were always representative of worship and sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice were a huge part of Abraham's life. In fact, the word worship was first mentioned in the story of Abraham and Isaac as he says we were going to go and worship and come back. And worship really, it, 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 it meant sacrifice. It, it meant like a lot of the things that we talk about as far as worship goes. But it, but it, it meant bowing down. Worship in that, in that language meant that he got on his face before God. And, and the first place where we see the word worship is in this moment of trial and testing, the testing of his faith that revealed the deepest part of Abraham's faith. Abraham was called a friend of God in the book of James. We talked about how Abraham and God often talked. In fact, there were about nine times between chapter 12 and chapter 2 that we record conversations between God and Abraham. So why did Abraham make it in the hall of faith? Here's the question. This is the the bottom line. Why did he make it in the hall of faith? I think it's because of this. Because God could ask for anything. He made it in this hall of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And maybe some of you, maybe me, maybe we can make it in someday. And here here it is, because God could ask him for anything. God was asking, am I more important than anything else? It's like our main thought at the beginning. It, It was this, how much do you love me, Abraham? How much do you love me? That's what he was saying. It was, the test was to reveal the depth of love that Abraham had for God. Your son, your only son, the one you love. I remember, um, I remember wanting to be married <laughs> because there was lots of years of wanting to be married. Any of you teenagers, you're like, I want to be married so bad. You know, because I wanted to be married since I was like, you know, 12. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that journey, but, but I remember the journey kind of um, coming up and, and being, you know, late into my 20s and... Um, I remember being at a place where I was just content with God and I. And it was as if I had sacrificed the idea of marriage, even though I knew that God wanted me to be married. I knew that that he had called me to be married. I knew all of this stuff. But I had to come to this place, and this is just in my story at least, where I could lay down the most important thing to me at that point in my life, the idea of marriage. And when I laid it down, it was only a few months later I found Becky. It's huge, just a huge deal in my life. God was wanting to know if the promiser was more important than the promise. Maybe some of you longtime Christians or students of the word have caught on by now, but let me bring, let me bring this home to you. You guys got a couple more minutes? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In the NIV it says this, And now these three remain. I love it. After the dust settles, after everything is over, after everything passes away, these three remain. Faith, hope, 
and love. The message version breaks it down like this. It says, but for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Abraham loved God. His love for God was greater than the promise. It was greater than his love for his son. And guess what? He passed the test. He passed the test. So if you haven't caught on yet, I kind of disguised the three points today. I, just, I disguised them as trust, longevity, and love. But, but watch this. We could really just say that what qualified Abraham for the hall of faith was simply faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Kelly, would you come?